What's up, guys? This is Josh with Shepherd's Cast, and I want to welcome you to the podcast where I talk to you about the things that I find important. My content is meant to inform, educate, puzzle, or be funny. If it does something other than what I've just said, then solely Deo Gloria. We will just call it Providence. All of what I say is read from blog posts that I have written and can be found on my website with the link in the show notes. So anyway, yeah, here we go. Before I dive into the text, I want to give a word of warning and a bit of an announcement. I may or may not pronounce these names correctly. I've probably heard them all said correctly, so I hope it will at least be a 90% success, but I truly hope you do not hold it against me if I absolutely destroy these names. Also, I will be reading out of the ESV. If I feel the need in my study to translate a word differently, I'll bounce over to a different version and give you a short explanation. So, without further pause, let's dive in. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eluid, and Eluid the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was also called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, fourteen generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, fourteen generations. Matthew 1, 1-17. As tradition goes, thus ends the reading. A lot of people tend to skip over the generations because they either do not want to take the time to stumble over the names that are presented, or feel as if they won't get anything out of it, so they skip to the part that will benefit them in some way. There is, however, an important reason these genealogies were included, here and in Luke. We should take the time as followers of Christ to study and understand what these mean. As you will recall from my introduction, 
we determined the audience from internal and external evidence to be the Jews themselves. As Jews, they believed in two specific covenants that had to be fulfilled in order to maintain a belief that Jesus was who he said he was, and who Matthew was in the process of explaining he was. These two covenants were the Davidic covenant, found in 2 Samuel 7, and the Abrahamic covenant, found in Genesis 12. In order to have a better understanding of these covenants, I want to take a moment to lightly touch on each one. The Abrahamic covenant is best summed up in Genesis 12, 2-3, where it says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was an unconditional covenant made with Abraham, in that is completed in Genesis 15 with God being the party to make the covenant while Abraham was in a deep sleep. Typically, covenants are conditional with both parties taking part in the promise, but God binds himself and him alone as he was the only one to pass through the halves of the animals. The Davidic covenant was a promise made to David that one of his descendants would reign over the people of God. This is the true basis of hope for a Messiah, and it makes sense of the reason why the gospel authors went to such great pains to show that Jesus was rightful king of the Jews. Simply put, it is a restatement or a continuation of earlier promises made in that it promised a Davidic king as the person who God would complete the promises of land, blessings, and descendants. It was important to show how, if Jesus were the true Messiah, and he was the fulfillment of these two covenants, that he was a part of the rightful line of David and Abraham. And it was also important to note instances such as Jeconiah, in verse 11, was cursed, and that none of his sons were allowed to be kings. Jeremiah 22.30 says, Thus says Yahweh, Record this man as childless, a man who will not secede in his days, for no man from his offspring will succeed him, setting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. In other words, Jeconiah did have children, but they were cursed from ever being able to sit on the throne. Thus the recorders of these genealogies, Luke and Matthew, had to also show how, if Jeconiah was one of those who fathered Jesus, how and why he was still able to sit on the throne. This whole idea goes back to how things were transmitted or inherited. Original sin, sometimes referred to as ancestral sin, is what was committed by Adam that plunged the whole of humanity into sin. We inherited the condemnation for sin as well as a nature prone to sin, a nature that the Bible regularly defines as dead, like we see in Ephesians 2.1. My reformed people will cringe at this, but I don't think we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. In Thomas Aquinas, Summa Theologica, he says, Now it is evident that in the opinion of philosophers, the active principle of generation is from the father, while the mother provides the matter. Therefore, original sin is contracted not from the mother, but from the father, so that accordingly, if Eve and not Adam had sinned, their children would not contract original sin, whereas if Adam 
and not Eve had sinned, they would contract it. Or, by our more favored theologian, St. Augustine, he says, Adam's sin is passed down to each of us through his seed, literally a natura seminalis, or seminal nature. This means that all who were conceived by the natural way, through sex without godly intervention, are recipients of this original sin. It is the same way with the curse to Jeconiah. The curse was transmitted through the father to the son, of which Joseph was not to Jesus by anything other than legality. Thus, to reiterate, Jesus does not contain the curse of Jeconiah and can be crowned as king. Another important thing to notice about the generations is how Matthew breaks it up into 14 generations. As interesting as it would have been, providentially speaking, there are many more generations in the midst of it. Matthew, much like earlier recordings in the Old Testament, lists people who have, somewhere in their ancestral line, been the father of that person. It is not necessarily immediate son to immediate father. This is because Jewish reckoning didn't really require that every person in order be listed to satisfy a genealogy. The word gneo means beget, which can be any number distance apart, but descendant of. Another important thing to notice is the inclusion of women, but not simply women, Gentile women, and not simply Gentile women, but Gentile women of somewhat ill repute. This should lead us into a thought process about the sovereignty of God in his own free choice. To explain, Paul says in Romans 9, 6 through 8, But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who were descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Let's break that passage down just a bit. In the context, Paul is explaining in the negative sense, while people of ethnic or national Israel were not considered children of the promise. John the Baptist comments on this as well in his discourse with the Pharisees when he says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Matthew 3, nine. John tells us, however, in the positive sense, that God can make anyone a child of Abraham from these rocks. Why is this important? Because it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, as in, it is not the nation of Israel itself that is a child of God. The children of God are those who believe, who have faith. The children of God, or the offspring of God, are those who are children of the promise. The promise being extolled in Romans 8.30. Those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It is up to God, in his own good pleasure, in his sovereign election, of who is to be what. Exodus 33 in the ESV records God saying his name. I disagree with the translators placed of the quotation marks, as in the following chapter, when God stated his name, it included what was outside of the quotations in Exodus 33. The verse reads, And he said, 
I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Exodus 33.19 His name shows his explicit freedom of choice in who he so chooses, which we can see in the list of the genealogy we are covering in Matthew. So let us reflect back on the totality of the importance of this genealogy. The audience was, as we've discussed, the Jewish people. They would have asked the question as to if Jesus fit the bill of the Messiah. Can he be king? Does he fulfill the covenant? Without a doubt, after reading the initial part of Matthew, it would have been a clear yes. I want to thank you for taking the time to come listen to this podcast. It is always a pleasure to bring the word of God to those who are seeking to know more about him. The final word of the day comes to us from Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The observation from the words that I would now insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean his sovereign pleasure, his arbitrary will restrained by no obligations, hindered by no manner of difficulty, any more than if nothing else but God's mere will had in the last degree, or in any respect whatsoever, any hand in the preservation of wicked men one moment. A special thanks to Jesus Wannabes for allowing me to use their track, Ephesians 6, in my intro and outro music. You can find a link to their Spotify in the show notes. And, as always, may the light of the Holy God shine upon you. Amen. Keeps us from falling over